This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of NRL Boom Rookies. Alongside me, as always, he'll never walk alone. It's Mitch Doyle. G'day everybody. Good week. And a week from hell for Everton fan Dale Roots. Yes, I would like to die. Please, go on. Thank God this is a footy podcast. Everton, the Dragons and Canberra. Just what a, what a, what a, what a great week for you. Yeah, significant L's all around, really. Unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so we're back. Uh, shout out, first of all, friend of the show, Damon Berg, for lending us a mixer because, Mitchell, every audio store in Australia is out of mixers given that everyone in the, the country has started a podcast during lockdown. The weird irony, isn't it, that it's like we've, um, we're trying to get a decent quality mixer and the one we want... I called like every audio store I could find in Sydney, none in stock. And then people, they're doing that classic thing, oh, we'll have, have one soon though. And every, that's what every one of them pretty much told me, which means, oh, well, not shipping, but you know, you'll have it eventually. And luckily, Damon stepped up. He was a co-host on a program last year, you guys remember, and he's lent us a mixer. It is, look, I know people at home not really fit in mixer people. You wouldn't really know what one looks like, but this one has an iPod dock. It is very much... 2008. <laughs> it's great. It's got, I like it. It's got an iPod dock, um, and it only has two mic outputs, so one of us will be off mic all the time, but that's this beats us huddling around a, uh, a laptop like we did last week. And also, you might actually hear us talk over each other less, just for like a little bit. Probably yep. not, but... We'll find a way to just... <laughs> the off mic person just starts yelling. Like Matt Coleman was doing last week. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Um, but yeah, we're back with another uh, edition of Rugby League Storytime. Uh, this has been a smash hit this year, I think, so far. Everyone's really responded well to these episodes so far. Just some weird and wacky stories from the wonderful world of Rugby League revisited. Um, who would like to go first? Let's, let's get Dale to go first. Oh, yeah. Hello. Now I'm on mic. This is going to be fantastic. All right, so my, uh, my story is... Uh, I'm going to call it Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It will, it will you know. Is this the, the Hawaiian remix? That guy who sung that great version oh, of Acoustic? Oh, man. Or the original? Big Is. Where, because I'm oh, not here man. for the original. <laughs> he was, I mean, he would have been a great. What was his you name? Know? Israel something? Israel, yeah, he had a very long surname. That's not in front of me. <laughs> Let's yeah. not halligan this one. Yeah, like, I was going to say. For the keeper. I believe, are we on, uh, are we on 2GB? Because we can, I mean, we can give him a name if we're on 2GB. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Israel, hookah, hookah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, we should we should start a we should start a uh, a Middle Eastern smoke shop with that name. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Israel hookah hookahs. <laughs> well, um, we just pulled the giant lead from problematic to cancelled. <laughs> Alrighty, so my my story is we'll call it somewhere over the rainbow. Um, so the Canberra Raiders they were for a period of time a very good rugby league team, obviously made a series of grand finals in the late 80s and early 90s, and then uh, decided to not be very good for a while. Um, that kind of came basically through, you know, their greats retiring. The greats like, you know, Gary Belcher, Mal Meninga, um, Clyde and Stewart moving to uh, Canterbury in the late 90s. Obviously, they had a... a Glenn Lazarus went to Melbourne, etc., etc. They had a number of players retire, but... The real kind of cliff where they fell off was, as I said, the late 90s. So Stewart and Clyde went to Canterbury. Um, and 2000 was the, se- the season um, that I probably remember the Raiders really falling away. So um, in the late 
90s, well, th- throughout his career, really, um, Laurie Daly was really plagued by injuries. He had uh, a groin injury, a hamstring injury, he had knee surgery in, I think, 96. Um, he had knee surgery as well. Um, and he was kind of coming to the end of his career. And in, in 2000, it really became apparent that um, as good a player as he was, his body just wasn't holding up to the rigours of first-grade rugby league anymore, which was a shame because he was one of Canberra's probably three, maybe four all-time best players. Him, Mal, Croker, and Ricky would probably be my top four. He's the Blues' origin goat too, don't at me. <clears throat> he, he, well, I mean, he was, he had, uh, when, when Mal left... Uh, when Mal retired in 94, Ricky Stewart was made captain despite the fact that Laurie had captained, if I remember correctly, both Australia and New Zealand at that point. Um, but You mean New South Wales? Uh, sorry, yeah. I mean, that would be that would be a story. He was, uh, he was such a good captain. <laughs> they ran out against New Zealand. The New Zealand were like, you know what, mate? You can captain You can both captain sides. our team as well. <laughs> I believe under the Super League rules, that was allowed. Uh, so shout out 97. <laughs> Um, but as I said, uh, 2000, it became apparent that he was just, he was obviously still a very good player, but he just wasn't up to the rigors of first grade anymore physically. Um, and if you had ever watched him coach, I mean, you would probably argue mentally either, but I digress. Um, so as the season wound down, uh, the Raiders were, you know, trotting along. They were doing fairly well in that season. I think they ended up coming fourth, um, but they had a long stretch of away games to finish the season. So they had they played Penrith away in round 21, and they lost that game. They played St. George Illawarra at home and lost that game as well. That must be the last time the Dragons won at Bruce. That was in 2000. Um, and then they played the Roosters at home, Parramatta away, Melbourne away, North Queensland away. So they were going to be racking up the kilometres in the end of the se- at the end of the season. But as I said... Um, I, I think um, Laurie announced his retirement in June, late June. And because this was the Olympic year, uh, the season was ending early. So the season ended, if I remember correctly, on the 28th of August. It was the earliest grand final that we had since they'd played at the SCG. So round 23 comes around. It's the Raiders' final home game. They're playing against Eastern Suburbs. Uh, everybody, everyone in Canberra knew that this was going to be the last uh, time that we'd see Laurie Daly, who had been one of Canberra and Country Rugby League's, you know, greatest ever players. Um, it was also the the last home game that uh, David Ferner and Brett Mullins will be playing because both of those, I think, Ferner went to Leeds Rhinos and uh, Mullins went to St Helens, maybe. Um, so it was the, as I said, it was the end of their. Uh, tenure. Mullins was playing at fullback. There were it, it was kind of the point in time with the Raiders where you started seeing the players, the last of the players who had played through the 90s and the beginning of those players who would be the backbone of the club until probably about 2010. Players like uh, Kenny Nagus was moving on. Simon Wolford was there. Luke DeVico was there. Jason, uh, yeah, Jason Croker was there. And you had a bench with Mark McClendon and Alan Tung. So obviously these are players who would be serving the club through the rest of the 2000s. Some other Todd good Payton random players. Well. Yeah, they had um, Brett Finch. Yep. People forget he started the Raiders, but also Rocket Rod Jensen was in that yes, team. Yes, he was. Jamal Alisi was there. There was yep. actually a lot of talent in that Raiders team that not a lot of them 
you know, eventuated there. But there's a lot of guys who had a lot of potential coming yeah. through at this point as well. Uh, the the Roosters team, like that was a really good Roosters side. They ended up making the grand final against uh, the Broncos in 2000 and mm. got tailed. I mean, that Broncos team was like arguably one of the best of all time. So um, at least, you know, since the start of the NRL era, uh, they had players like Shannon Hegarty, Anthony Minicello, Brad, this was uh, Brad Fittler's, I was going to say this was his last year, but that was 2004. Craig Wing, they had the greatest player of all time to come from one particular country, Ian Rubin. Gordon, if I ever get to that story, yeah. he's in it. If I ever get to that Russian Rugby League story, he's Dean, in there. Dean Witters, Craig Fitzgibbon, Luke Rickardson, and uh, some some other, you know, coached by, coached by Graham Murray. And obviously, Mal was the coach for the Raiders. There is some Rugby League names in that <coughs> Roosters side, mate. Dallas Hood is on that bench. Dallas Hood, yep. And, and uh, I was a big Scott Logan guy because he was big. <laughs> When I was younger, that's just all you needed when I was a child. Yep. It was either be big or be fast, and yep. he was one of those two things. Yep, that's good. <laughs> uh, Canberra had Leslie Vainicolo, who, in my opinion, was one of the great underrated NRL players of the early 2000s before he went and essentially daddied all of Super League. Uh, I think he's actually scored more than a thousand tries in Super League. He's a he's a great. We did the what ifs in uh the other week in, on, when we got asked that question. At, uh, I think we did Patreon podcast for that. What if yeah. players are okay become? And I know Vinicolo had a great career in Super League, and it was a try game for 150 odd games. Yeah, he's a NRL what if. Like Six, to me, 69 games, nice for Canberra. Yeah, uh, over four seasons, 35 tries in. Uh, sorry, no, so, so 73 games all up. Mm. Um, for Canberra, 36 tries. So one every other game, and then goes to Super League, scores 147 tries in 152 games just because he can. And he scored 14 and 14 for New Zealand. As That's well. unbelievable. In 2000, he, uh, sorry, 2004, Vinokolo scored 38 tries in 26 games for Bradford. Seems like a normal amount. That of seems <laughs> like a normal amount of tries. That is the same amount that some clubs score, I swear. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I digress. So, all through the week, uh, you know, like, in Canberra, there was... It wasn't quite like 94 or, you know, 89 or 90 where, like, it was a grand final, but it kind of felt like it. It was a weird week. I remember actually getting tickets to this game and being really excited to go. Laurie was one of my favourite players, one of my favourite Raiders players growing up. Um, So, obviously, it was... You know, it wasn't fantastic to see him go out like this. I thought I wanted him to play for another... 100 years. He was only 30, I think, when he retired, 31. Um, we, like, uh, as I said, everybody kind of knew what was going on, but when we got to the, I remember when we got to the ground, it was really, really grey. It was a cold, disgusting, wet Canberra day. A rarity in July in Canberra. Um, but, like, as I said, the whole rugby league community knew what was going on. Um, I think... Uh, Channel Nine had been at his live. Channel Nine had been at his house for a live cross back to Sydney ahead of the game. If I remember correctly, like they had been, they might have like followed him. They might have followed him on TV or something like that, like to the game. Um, his kids were there. They kind of, you know, they rolled up and they were the guests of honor, obviously. And as as they ran out onto the ground, there was a uh, there was a guard of honor of juniors players all wearing Raiders jerseys. Um. And then the Raiders, who were really, as I said, coming to the end of their tenure as a powerhouse of uh, rugby league, were like, they just absolutely played the socks off the Roosters. They just absolutely beat them to a pulp. Um, Daly was 
incredible. Um, I was only 11, so I don't remember a heap of the details of this game. But I do remember the Raiders just playing, like, champagne rugby league somehow. Croker scored two tries. Mullins got two tries. Lalisi, McFadden, Vinicolo got a try each. Ferner kicked six goals. And then Laurie Daly was given the last conversion to try and, you know, give him a little gift on the way out. Uh, And he missed, as he was wont to do. In fairness, his legs were attached by, you know, rubber straps and paper paper plates at this point. Um, But the Raiders ended up winning 40-12. to Mullins and um, Ferner and Daly kind of walked off arm in arm and right at the end of the game... The, the the rain gave way kind of towards the end of the game. There were 23,500 people at this game and most of them stayed to watch them walk off. And as they walked off the ground, the clouds opened and this beautiful rainbow appears. And I remember the day after in the front of the Canberra Times, it was the... The, the headline was like Farewell Laurie or something like that, but it was these three icons of Canberra Rugby League, three fantastic players who'd been there for a decade-ish, and it was the three of them arm in arm with the rainbow in the background over the back of the the uh, it would be the eastern stand. Um, and that was the last time that I remember going to a Raiders game <clears throat> for a number of years. Uh, that that wasn't a Dragons game, but that was one that I was very happy to go to. And obviously, there was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's rare to see like three players who all had such storied careers with the same club Mm. all sort of wrapping up at the same time. Like, I'm trying to think of a recent example of that happening. I really can't. Like, South's lost Sam Burgess, Greg Inglis, and John Sutton at the same time, but it obviously wasn't the same thing with, like, them all having a last game together and all that stuff. So, to have not just one club legend, but three club legends... I know Mullins went back and played for the Roosters in 2002. He did, and won the comp. Three club legends like that, all Mm. off the field at times. And and that was only, what... Two years after Ricky left as well, right? Yeah. Because so, Ricky went up to the Bulldogs for a couple of years. He so, did. Or one year. Yep, so, yep. 99, I think. So, um, yeah, it was just weird. Like, th- those 90s teams are a lot... Like, they're, they're so special in that, like, you don't really get these teams anymore where you have all these amazing players who stay put for mm. long periods of time. Like, even the Roosters who have been dominant... They're not. They they've got obviously they've got a great team and they've got great players, but you know already you're seeing some turnover in their backline in their halves. Like Cooper Cronk was there and now he's gone. Mitchell Pierce was there and now he's gone. Um, and you know the forward pack largely rotates apart from a couple of guys like Maria Hargraves and Cordner. But mm-hmm. to have you know three guys of the quality of Ferner, Mullins, and Daly all playing their last game together at the same time is incredible. I'm I'm struggling to think of when we might ever see something like that again. We might. We genuinely may not. Yeah, it was. The other funny thing about that game was that because they ended up caning the Roosters that day, it actually ended up meaning that they came fourth, so they got a home semi. So they had basically like given these three giant players like a fantastic send-off and then kind of had to awkwardly like turn around the first week of the finals and be like, oh, cool, um, you're back. So <laughs> it's, not, it's like when you say goodbye to someone after dinner and you have to walk to the same car park. <laughs> uh, but as I said, they, they ended up losing in the... Uh, semi-final to the Roosters who went on to lose to the Broncos in the grand final quite handsomely if I remember uh, but yeah that's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow yeah 90s rugby league is that it kind of I know I've got a bitch about old cliches as always but it's definitely that thing that bred club loyalty into a lot of us thinking oh players will stay around forever and be at one club forever and whatever and the Raiders side were a great example of that 
And as you're saying, you know, three club greats going at the same time, it's like the Storm kind of had a few leave, but it was like every other year they kept leaving, like Cronk and Slater mm-hmm. and Cam's still there. But yeah, it's so rare seeing players of that calibre all go out in a similar time. And, you know, to be fair to the Raiders, they thought they had a a pretty good uh, succession plan with some of the young players at that club, but it just didn't really work out for them like that. Like, we all love the McClendon and McFadden. Uh, we all, uh, you know, Brett Finch had potential, didn't really see it out there, and other guys we mentioned, but yeah, it's a good story. The, the other thing about that, the point that you make about loyalty is that all three of those blokes, I know that Brett Mullins was born in Sydney, but all three of those blokes were country raps. And it was at that time, and this is probably the same kind of thing with Newcastle being like the team of Northern New South Wales. Like at that point, Canberra was like the country rugby league team. Like a lot of those players were coming from, like they were local. Dave Ferner went to Senetti's. It was this, that same kind of, like he, he went to Senetti's, was born in Queanbeyan. Um, you had other players come through a little bit after that who were also country country players. Like Alan Tung was born in Tamworth from memory. Um, but now, obviously with kind of the, globalisation is not the right word, but the nationalisation of the rugby league, you get players from different areas. It, it was, they they were the last real triumvirate, triumvirate of like local Canberra players that, that went on to be, you know, great to the game. Yeah, well, that was a lovely story, Dale. And I did look up the name of the Hawaiian man who sang Somewhere of the Rainbow, but I'm also not going to attempt to pronounce his last name. But it is a beautiful rendition of a lovely song. Mm. Uh, Mitchell, you have a story. I'm going to do my rendition of that song, actually. That's a oh, good. <laughs> no, so my story, and it, it's somewhat user-submitted, but it comes from our good friend uh, Michael Darren, 79, on Twitter, but he dropped it on a live Zoom at the end of our Zoom of the Broncos losing to Manly, mentioned this story, and I'd heard of it growing up, but I'm, I wasn't at the right cusp to be paying attention to this. Like, it happened in 1998. I'm talking about uh, Solomon Hormona's pursuit of the... Pleasure Machine <laughs> of uh, Gabrielle Richens. And if you don't know this story, it's back in 1998 and uh, Solomon Hamono chased Gabrielle Richens across the world for love, apparently at the time, for love. And he couldn't see clearly about his career. But I'll read a couple of excerpts from, from news articles then and one from later just to cover the Pleasure Machine for, for those of you listening at home. So uh, their eyes met across a busy Paddington Street. She was an English model and he was a rugby league star. Nothing will keep them apart. Not even 17,000 kilometres, not even a $200,000 season contract. Canterbury forward turned star-crossed lover Solomon Homono's decision to jeopardise his career by following his girlfriend to London has shocked his family and mates. Since flying out of Sydney on Friday to see 26-year-old Gabrielle Richens, who sports the nickname Pleasure Machine. <laughs> it's still funny every time. It is. It really, truly is. Hamano has failed to make contact with anyone, including his club. Even his parents, mother, Lavinian father, male, I don't know, I'm sorry for butchering those names, say they have no idea where their son is. Miss Richens, 26, recently finished filming a provocative role in a $5 million advertisement for Virgin Atlantic in which she wore a black bikini. The sultry brunette was last night described by Hamono's best friend, St. George Dragon's Anthony Mundine. So already there's the first little, there's the first hint, by the way, as stunning but dangerous. He said the romance started when they met in Paddington when Miss Richards was on a modelling contract. Oh, he was just walking down the street and they made eye contact and he freaked out, Mundine said. She's a beautiful woman, but she's very dangerous. It was a view echoed by Mrs. Hamono who pleaded for her son to return home. It's so weird for Anthony Mundine to have antiquated views about women. <laughs> Stunning but dangerous. Um, 
His mum said, there is no use yelling at him, but I can't settle down or do anything properly until he comes home. I don't know, try not to interfere with his business. I know he loves her. But when Solo said goodbye to me on Friday, I thought he was just going to training. <laughs> uh, his dad said, it's time for Solo to wake up for himself. If it was me, I wouldn't give a damn how pretty she was, but she must be special to him to take off like that. I would do the more important things first. Like I'd, I'd like to see him concentrate on his football and set himself up financially. And they can, then they can get married and have a family. He's virtually saying he doesn't want the money. It's unbelievable. It's hard because he's twenty year old, twenty two years old, and needs to learn on his own. So anyway, next article. His parents went on to, to talk about this quite a bit. Uh, next article is again about him risking hundred thousand dollars to go over there, but to come back from the team, so he could come home. They were waiting for him to come home before negotiating, and the Bulldogs were. They want to find out what his problem is and then try and help rectify it with him. And Homono gave hints of his plan in interviews. He said, I've had, I've had like a brain explosion. It's just the way I deal with getting around this stuff inside my head. I realize I've got to change. I think about it constantly. I said my problems will be over pretty soon. So he fled to England. But On upon his return, he arrived in Sydney a few weeks later to face the music from the Bulldogs chief executive. Uh, Mundine actually what a, what a surprise he's our best friend here to guide him home and said I just told him I thought he should come home but there you go well, Mundine but, had taken a four day break from training to go see him actually to send come take come home yeah but not to come home to the Bulldogs no but come home to the Dragons it didn't happen but that, <laughs> we'll get to that part uh, so anyway uh, apparently he's not the type of person who hides money away in the bank so he's already at break, breaking point coming home after four days. He's phrased that well, to be honest. I'm going to... Fr- frivolous spenders of the world rebrand as... He's not the kind of guy that puts money in the bank. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so his manager said he's hoping for... She's George Mimas. I'm hoping for a bit of understanding from them as Canterbury can be very understanding so far because Solomon's a different person, different to your average person. But I agree with anything they decide because it's pretty hard to argue with whatever, whatever they say in our position... Solomon's a great athlete who can be a great value to any club. There's a whole range of op- options open to us. Some are financial, others are playing matters. I suppose the final possibility is the cancellation of the contract. So that was the final line of what, what the discussion's there. But earlier, I don't know if it was before or after this incident. I think it's before. He appeared on the footy show. And I might cut that audio in. When he appeared on the footy show with Gabriel Richens, Homona, talking about marriage and, and love. And it was... Extremely awkward because Solomon didn't really know what to say. It's like someone had set it up for it them. It was real bad. He was de- he's dead quiet. Gabrielle Richards is in it because she got really famous after this incident and moved to Australia. And uh, anyway, moved to Australia on the back of it and was a celebrity. But the interesting thing was it came out in 2011 that it was all a fraud. He didn't get to England and uh, catch up with the pleasure machine. When uh, Solomon arrived in England, he never saw her. What? Yeah. Uh, he actually flew over there and he, he reached out, but she wasn't interested. So he sat in a hotel room for four days waiting for the Bulldogs to sack him so he could go play for the Dragons. <laughs> the plan was devised, surprisingly, by Solomon Hamono and close friend Anthony Mundine. Ah. You remember the, the best friend from earlier? The best that was, mate. It was just like, mate, this woman, this woman is stunning and dangerous. She's just ruining his life. But it was defined by them somehow... The plot was to send him over to England and for him to get his get his contract torn up. But unfortunately, all that happened for Solomon was that they fined him. 
and he played reserve grade. He only played a few more years of first grade after that, but mm. he, he was a very talented player who had other problems too. But quite funnily, though, the best part about this for me is that Mundine learned from this to help Sonny Bill Williams escape the Bulldogs multiple years later. <laughs> He had the first draft that didn't really work. There's like a love story that doesn't work, but just flee to France in the middle of the goddamn mm. night, <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Uh, it's just good. Um, I was a big fan of the uh, the headline on that last article, which was sold. Dash was business, not pleasure. Yeah, that's a kind of uh, kind of punnery that I'm here for. The good thing or reflection is like Solomon's. Like, look, looking back, I think it was pretty immature. Oh, really? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sorry to the fans that support the do- the dogs, all that kind of stuff. And uh, his chat with Mundine was, I'm under contract with the Bulldogs, but we decided to come up with a plan that would ultimately force the Bulldogs to rip up my contract. So the plan was formed. I was going to chase after my girlfriend in England. So off I went. And before I knew it, the paper had a hold of it. It blew up, making headlines and news of myself being chased by the media at home and even there in London. It was crazy. Chock added a twist by flying over to rescue me. That just crazy <laughs> created more of a stir. We arrived back in Sydney. It was just chaos. So the media wanted to get on the bus. So it literally didn't stop. We bypassed customs for a room. My family and management were waiting, hidden from all the mayhem of reporters, camera crew, and general public wanted to see what the fuss was. We had a security escort, and we took, and then we quickly took off. I just want to point out, by the way, that you can skip past customs. Yes. Just if if you're an average first grade, well, a good first grade footballer, you can just go past customs. Well, clearly, he also yeah. had. Did he did he say he had Mundine with him at this yes. point? Yes. Yeah. Uh... And Mundane explained, we had to calculate it in a manner that we had to try and get out, get out of his deal with the dogs because by mouth, verbally, a deal was done. So he put on this little stage and, and to see what the dogs wanted to do with it. So what? Is that the way to get... Like, I love players trying to break Cronacs all the time. It's like, oh, homesickness. I mean, Jason Saab's right now whinging about the commute, which is a very young man problem. But the one those two bloody galaxy brains got up to in a room was like, mate, That's what incredible. if we shoot you over to England and you try and get back with that girl you had a little fling with? What are some? I'm trying to think of some other, like really first world run of the mill modern day problems players could use to get out of the contracts. The Wi-Fi is too slow yeah. at, the, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the training facility. That's it. Oh um, my god! It actually gets referenced in um, Sunny Ball, Paul Kent's book about uh, Sunny Bill, about Solomon Hamona chasing the pleasure machine, and also about when they were there earlier in London. He was uh, when they went for the World Club Challenge. Uh, Hamono was was ruined with Steve Price, and that was when he was off running around and chasing the pleasure machine and burning all his cash. And Steve Price was uh, not looking, not enjoying because he was also getting fined for Hamono's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so halfway through the um through the trip, he called his wife at home and said, "Sorry, love, I think we're going to have to mortgage their house because <laughs> of Hamono's fines." <laughs> but that's good. But uh, yeah, I just like how that that was that that, that paved the way for what Sonny Bill did. But uh, somehow, I'd, out of all the ways you said to get out of a contract, mate, just that girl in England, just fly there, just fly there, and then the Bulldogs will ha- let you come back to Australia. That's the difference. The Sunny Bill one, there's never any attention to come back and play no. for the Dragons. Yes. It's like, so you thought the Bulldogs would just tear your contract up and then you just like move down the road? Yep. And Maybe co- not even move house. They're not that far away. Yeah. It's like, so. Like, this is pre merger as <laughs> it well. Was. So it's just the straight up Dragons. So yeah, they're not far at all. They're just going to you tear your contract up and you'll go play for the other club and then she'll move here and then, yeah, that's it. Instead of the Bulldogs going, yeah, well, if she comes here, you, you can, you know, stay at our club. <laughs> Idiots. And, uh, Homono only played, what, that was in 98 and he played eight games that year. Eight games in 99 for Balmain. So, <laughs> not for the Dragons or the Bulldogs. Then in, in 2000, he made it to the Dragons for two games. 
2003, he played 20 games for Manly, and in 2004, 17 games for Manly again. He also obviously went on to box after his career and had a lot of other mental health battles uh, throughout his career. But I just, I just, I don't want to shit on his mental health. I just love that idea and the, how you think you can get out of that the contract with that. And I will, I'll just put that part in the podcast. Why not the little awkward interview with a uh, blocker and uh, Fatty Gabriel Richens and uh, Homono. But I just don't know how like. I just couldn't go, no, I couldn't figure it out going back either how the timeline of this fully worked. Yeah, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's 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 a very very bizarre story, um, it is. and it's a good one for uh, I know some older listeners of the podcast probably remember it, but like Homono, you know, and Richens were ne- neither of those were superstars of March. I know I was eight when this happened, but I don't remember either of them being such big big news or superstars. So no, nor do I. I mean, I, he. Might genuinely be well more well known for being a boxer when all is said and done, and it then this be. is but this is probably the main thing that most rugby league fans of our age or older would associate with him if they heard his name was oh yeah the pleasure machine guy. What a great nickname! And of course, she hates that nickname. Like, yeah, how can you not? I mean, how do you get that nickname? And like, you're just a model if you get me. Like, it wasn't like no, I you don't need to, you don't need to go further. We, we I know, it. but it's like you know. It's not. It's not good any day and age. Not exactly long enough ago to that for that to be an endearing nickname. But, um, she went on to have a very successful uh, mm. one one episode role mm. in How I Met Your Mother in two thousand five. Yep, yep. And I do like in all this that everyone was calling her trouble too. By the way, if it was all she was the it trouble. Like she did anything wrong. She didn't. She went to England and then he went there and she turned him down. And then uh, parents called him her trouble. Mundane called her trouble. It was all this. But hey, she did get to move to Australia and parlay that into like I assume being in. Ralph magazine several times. I did think, by the way, that uh, Solomon's father was definitely having a go at young me. He said, it's time for Solo to wake up to himself. There's a plenty of girls in Australia. Why do you have to go overseas for one? It's fair. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Daddy Doyle is nodding in agreement. Yeah, and then he did say as well, it's hard to believe he could care so little about the money and risk losing his three-year deal. Mm. Oh, well. There you go. And well, he got fined, fined 25000 for for missing those gains, but... That's a $200,000 contract, 25K of it's pretty fair it's whack. pretty fair whack, yeah. There but, you, you know, they were right to do it. Paul, you'd miss the city life. No. You've got to remember that you don't meet folk like the pleasure machine in the country every day of the week. Oh, the pleasure machine. I'll never forget her. Oh, settle down, big fellow. Of course, the pleasure machine arrived back in Australia with Solomon Homono, and the footy show got the exclusive interview, the first one. Sensational. Here it is. Can you believe all the fuss? She must be a terrific lady for you to travel that far just to see her for a few days. Well, she is. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, before I acted, you know, I thought about the consequences and I thought, you know, I needed to be there. You know, I think a man should be with his, you know, woman. And um, How important to you is rugby league at the moment? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it, you know. I've yet to discuss with my club, you know, I've just got back in and, uh, you know, uh, we'll uh, hopefully meet soon and, you know, come to some form of common ground. Yeah, yeah. Gabby, uh, we, we know that you're a model and uh, you, I don't think the opportunities are that good in Australia for you. That's why you have to go back to the UK in a week. Surely there must be a modelling agency out there that can put these two people <laughs> together. Give us some work, will you let them... I'll tell you why I say that, because my wife, Kath, at home has been putting plenty of pressure on me for not being romantic enough. 
So, uh, have you got any tips for me, mate? I'm, I'm doing it tough, yeah. mate. Yeah, tough get, get on a plane and go to England, she'd be terrible. <laughs> Let's get to the bottom line here. Are we talking marriage? Yeah. Talking marriage? Yeah. Solo? Yeah. But anyway, you've got, you've got one bungers. Yeah, so um, would have preferred to save this for when we have the great man Harry Ramage back on. But um, yeah, we'll do it. Now, I did speak to him on the phone before I finished writing all my stuff up about this because uh, he, he is a large part of this history. And this is, of course, the story of Jamie Lyon. So... Um, as we, I mean, most people will remember Jamie Lyon as as the manly centre who was one of the best centres in the game for many many years. But um, before that, he was he was one of the pro- most promising young players in the game when he you know basically just stopped playing footy in his early twenties. So yeah, we'll start from the start and yeah, what else can we start from? <laughs> no, let's let's do it like a, any good filmmaker would do. We'll go. We'll do it backwards, and then we'll play it back forwards, and fans will understand it then. Let's do that. We'll do a memento version of it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So you've got to start right at the end and then go back several times. Yep. Um, so, uh, after moving down from Northern New South Wales to attend Parramatta Marist High School, the world was Jamie Lyons' oyster. Um, at age 17, he toured with the Australian schoolboys who went undefeated across the UK, Ireland, and France, and then when he returned home, there was an NRL contract with the Eels waiting for him. So, before there was Tim Smith, there was Jamie Lyon. After debuting late in the year 2000, he quickly became a fixture in the table-topping 2001 team. In fact, he was the only player who played in all 29 games for them, um, which, of course, ended in an unfortunate grand final loss, which we have done a podcast on before. Um, he would go on to play for Australia that spring and was selected for the Blues in both 2002 and 2003. Um, but suddenly, in March 2004, after just one round of the season where they were well beaten by Canterbury, he abruptly quit the NRL, citing burnout and the pressures of professional rugby league. At only 22 years old, Mitchell, do you remember this and how confused were you at the time? Well, at that point, I was only confused. I was only certain that the Broncos are the best team ever. I didn't really give a shit about Jamie Lyon. Like, whatever, he's, a, he's, a, he's good, but he's not a Bronco. He can't be that good. Like, off he goes. I was only mad when he came back in the way he did later. Yep. And so, despite uh, despite this $750,000 contract with several years remaining, he headed north to Ballina to clear his head and had a long-term desire to head back to his hometown of Wee War. Um, one of the craziest parts about this was his teammates didn't know he was leaving. So, Nathan Kalis said at the time, I can't believe that this has come out of the blue. And even coach Brian Smith said that um, uh, Lyon and his manager, Alan Ganey, had only spoken to him just hours before he announced that he was heading off. He said that Jamie and his manager came to see me as well as other management this morning, and I was happy to give him some time to sort out his personal issues. He's been with the club since he was 15 and has an impeccable record on and off the field. He is well regarded by everyone at our club, and we all respect his wishes during this time. Now, at the time, Noel Cleal, um was the recruitment manager at Parramatta, and he was the one who brought uh, Lyon to the club as a 15-year-old. He said that Lyon had lost his taste for the game and was sick of city life. He said he just wants to get some fresh air into his lungs in the bush, and it doesn't look as though anything will change his mind. Um, Several players, including a couple who had themselves sort of taken some brief periods away from that game this year, uh, uh, that year, Justin Hodges and David Peachy spoke out in his defense. Um, Hodges said, footy does get you down sometimes. People say it's the life, but sometimes there's more bad than good. And Peachy said, it's not about the money. He just wants to be where he's happy. And what makes him happy is the country lifestyle. Brad Fittler added that Lyon had already had so much thrown at him in a short career, but that he hoped Lyon would return. Um, Instead, Lyon's next appearance on a rugby league field in 2004 would be for his junior club, the Wee War Panthers. Now, uh, a one of the best NRL players in the world at the time, playing 5-8 for a group four team, <laughs> went about exactly how you would expect it to go. 
Um, in his first five games alone, he played 5 eighths, scoring 120 points with seven tries and 46 goals, uh, averaging 24 points per game. Uh, in a game against Narrabri, he contributed 46 points with a hat-trick of tries and 17 goals from 19 attempts as the Wee Walk Panthers won 110-4. Uh, a young Harry Ramage was in year seven at the time, and his Coonabarabran unicorns were the defending champions of Group 4. It mattered naught when Lyon and the Panthers came to town, winning 74-12. to Lyon, ca- Lyon was accountable for 38 of those points. Um, Harry told me that thousands of people turned out. So, like, the, the, he said it was the buzz around town was like nothing he'd seen in 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 sort of country rugby league. And country town buzz is actually a thing. Like, you know, we could all say buzz around the city. We don't really know, but country town buzz, like, and there's just you see fifteen people on the streets. You're like, Jesus, something is happening. Let alone thousands. Just for the record, for those of, for those playing at home, Wee War is like six hundred kilometers northwest of Sydney. It's just past Narrabri. So this is a town of literally like. 1,500 people at most. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were more people that day than the population of Coonabarabran. So, if I'm, uh, I'm not going to look up the population of Coonabarabran, but let's just say let's just say that it is. Um, Lyon was quoted in an article at the time saying, I'm loving it, probably even a bit more than I thought I would. I love being back here. The footy has been good and we have been winning a few games. Um, he was asked whether he still had the desire to come back to Sydney and play in the NRL again. And he said, maybe next year. I don't really know. I haven't been watching too many games. I wouldn't mind giving it another go down there. Whether it's back at Parrot or somewhere else, I don't know. I love that he's talking about this so casually. Like, oh yeah, look, I might have another crack at just being the best centre or 5'8 in the world again if I feel like it. But yeah, now but, I'm just chilling. But this, take notes. This is how you break a contract, Solomon. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And so... Um, uh, he he ended up finishing the season with We War. Um, they eventually won the grand final, forty six to ten, over the Moree Boars. But obviously, he couldn't stay playing bush footy forever. No matter how much he was missing home, playing in the big smoke, and no matter how comfortable he was, a player of that talent simply just can't stay out there and just beat up on scrubs for ten years. It's not possible. So, um, yeah, he was back and seeking to play full time professional rugby league again. But his next destination wasn't where you might have thought, despite interest from. Penrith, Canberra, and Manly, as well as the uh, fledgling Gold Coast uh, Dolphins, who bizarrely wanted to offer him a contract and like give him a job for two thousand and six. Sorry, for two thousand and five, before they came into the competition the following year. So he was just going to like two thousand and seven. They answered? yeah, two so years of employment. No, this was, the, this was the this was the Dolphins who originally I oh, think they were originally so supposed to come in two thousand and six before they rebranded as the Titans, Titans. who came in two thousand and seven. But yeah, so like he was going to work in an like off field role for a club for a year. Imagine imagine that. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world because he was sick of like the limelight and he would have been on the Gold Coast and not on the field. So it would have been, I guess, a pretty cool transition for him to get back into playing professional rugby league. But still, it's kind of bizarre that you would go to like one of the best players in the world and be like, yeah, yeah, look, next year, great. But this year, you're just going to like do spreadsheets. I mean, to be fair, lots of rugby league players do go there for a year's holiday. Move up there, and uh, fair point. And they have a tumultuous relationship with pig farmers. They have Jamie Lyon and now Shannon Boyd that have both taken the piss with that club. Pretty much, <laughs> that is very true. Um, but um, yeah, so didn't end up at any of them. Instead, he lobbed up at St Helens, the English powerhouse. Um, this was partly because he was obviously still contracted to Parramatta until the end of two thousand and six, and uh, Eels chief executive Dennis Fitzgerald said uh, that he would only properly consider requests uh, by clubs outside of Sydney. Um, to to uh, court lion services, so the likes of Penrith and Manly were never really in with a legitimate shot. In fairness, the Super League is outside of Sydney, so well spotted. He is correct in that instance. Northern England, not in Sydney. Not not 
here. Okay. Correct. Not Good. New England, which is where he was playing. I'd love the idea of like St. Helens calling Dennis Fitzgerald and he pulls out his like globe and just, just he just spins it around. His globe has two things on it, Sydney and not Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep, you guys appear to be not Sydney. So away you go. So yes, under new coach Daniel Anderson, um, St. Helens thrived 2005. They finished first on the table. Um, they unfortunately went out in straight sets in the final. So it was basically just like being back at Parramatta again for Lyon. Um, he scored 24 tries in 31 appearances and kicked 49 goals, sharing the kicking duties with Sean Long and Paul Scholfer. But it's weird. To, I look back at the stats and I was writing this up. They had three guys kick like 50 goals each. It's very strange to see that. Is that like, you know, sometimes some teams had like a left... Lefty and a righty? I don't they know. They have a lefty, a righty and a middly? <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head know what foot Sean Long and Paul Sculthorpe kick with, but I assume Campo or Harry Ramage does for and, some reason. And they're furious right now listening to this podcast. Of course he's left-footed, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> In 2006, they'd go one better. They dominated the Super League, losing just four regular season games and thrashed Hull 26-4 to in the grand final. They also destroyed all comers in the Challenge Cup, including a 50-0 win in the semis. So they claimed a treble of the Premiership, Minor Premiership and the Cup. Uh, with sole kicking duties that year, he scored 22 tries and kicked 163 goals for a staggering total of 414 points. It's lots of points. It is a lot of points. Um, but with England conquered, it was time to come home. Um, Parramatta had angled with uh, Lyon possibly making a return to the club in mid-2006 before the June 30 deadline, which would then allow him to negotiate with other clubs without the blessing of the Eels. Um, that didn't get off the line, and once again, Manly and Penrith, as well as Newcastle, were at the list of the top the top of the list of clubs that were interested in luring uh, Lyon, each submitting formal offers to him in July. Um, now, this is important. So, uh, Noel Cleal is now at Manly. And of course, he was the recruit manager at Parramatta who brought Lyon into the club and they remained close. And Lyon actually said that this was a big part of why he chose Manly now, in the end. Now, listen, Bungard, all, I've never heard of recruitment managers. All I hear is that the, the coach themselves does all of this. Yep. So you have to credit whatever coach is at that club. Why did Anthony Seabold <laughs> sign Jack Bird? <laughs> yeah, it's got nothing to do with the coach. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, the recruitment manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yes, and the other and the other reason he wanted to get back there was because um, despite him sort of uh, sounding out the Blues and the Kangaroos at the possibility of him playing rep footy whilst playing in England, that was rebuffed. And so, wait, there was a one point in time when Jamie Lyon wanted to play Yeah, this football. is the weirdest part because this is the guy who, at various points in his career, had no interest in playing rep football at all. But at this time, in 2005, it was, uh, in 2006, I'm sorry, he said, I've missed playing State of Origin and for Australia, so hopefully I can push for a spot in those teams once I returned from St. Helens. So... With every bridge burnt at Parramatta, uh, Lyon would arrive at Manly in 2007, and it went just about as good as any career could possibly have gone. I mean, he played for the Blues and the Kangaroos a bunch of times. He enjoyed a decade of success with the Seagulls, winning two premierships and playing in a couple of other grand finals as well. He was the Dalliab Centre of the Year four times, 2010, 2011, 2013, and 2014, as well as the International Rugby League Federation's Centre of the Year in both 2011 and 2013, also winning the Dalliab Captain of the Year Award twice. Um, but were they as sweet as that Group 4 success in 2004? We may never know. <laughs> I did... Um, I, d- I do want to know, by the way, when the Eels keep him held to his contract, do they have to pay him? Surely he's breaching his contract so he doesn't get yeah, paid, is but that, that payment it? would come under yeah. salary cap. You'd assume they're just not paying him. Yeah, that's it. Then they're taking they're that out. Fi- or they're finding him his wage every week. 
But yeah, Jamie Lyon when he when he first left again because I, I was a twelve year old moron Queenslander. Well, actually a little older than sorry, I was, I was thirteen, fourteen when he first left. But I didn't respect his talents much. And then later on, as another one on Queenslander, also didn't respect his talents because he refused to play Origin. So mm. as far as I'm concerned, never a good rugby league player. <laughs> for, for the record, we wore uh, in two thousand and two. Got the wooden spoon. Two thousand and three, no information. Obviously, Kuna were the uh, premiers that year. Won the premiership in two thousand and four. Back to the wooden spoon in two thousand and five. So, not exactly a giant of Group Four so, League, I'm, and well, no longer exists. What I'm hearing is Jamie Lyon salted the earth on the way out of Wee War. <laughs> do they do they revile Jamie Lyon in Wee War like Knights fans hate Wayne Bennett? Yes. yes look, <laughs> two years later, the uh, Wee War CEO was talking about the mess. <laughs> The prior captain had left there, and it, the long-term rebuild that we're going through here, and maybe, maybe in a few years, another pig farmer will miss home. I hope there's footage of this somewhere. Like, surely Harry's got some camcorder footage or something, because fucking hell, it'd be just be so funny to just watch, not just a guy who was a, a competent NRL player, like a guy who bossed the NRL, just going back home and just playing against actual farmers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the new meme these days is, oh, he played against farmers. No, no. This one did play against farmers. It's the equivalent of like when you get to the end of a video game and you've already beaten the boss and then you go finding the grunts in like the level one and you're using massive weapons against them. Yeah. It's like when you're playing Pokemon, you want to get your Pokemon to a level 100 after you finish the game. So you go back and just kill all the the, the like weaker Pokemon at the Cop start of the that game. Pidgey. Yeah, <laughs> Pidgey and Rattata didn't know what hit them. Yeah, and we all know like the experience of any time you run into it, even a subpar former athlete playing at a, a local sports competition, the gap between average man and subpar former athlete. But he ran into Jamie Lyon, as you said. It wasn't like he'd taken a year off or whatever. It was like, just come off a full preseason and just played a game, come back home. He'd have been like, you know, in red-hot form. And he was in red-hot form the year after too. Like, I'm actually surprised that he didn't score more points. Yeah, it's so many points. I mean, that was only five games though. I didn't get an end total of his entire season. That was one article I find from July yeah. 2004. But yeah, it's like when you played Oztag or something, you're like, oh yeah, like... Jason Moody was on the other team at age 43 and he was the best player on the field or someone like that. But this was, no, this is like so many levels above that. Yeah, it's like, Jason Moody stepped me out of my out of my shoes and I tore both my hamstrings. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Jamie Lyon is actually still good. And it's one of those, there's probably some idiot in one of those local towns that's like telling everyone at the pub, like, mate, I could take him when I was younger, you know, I could have been XYZ or whatever. And Jamie Lyon rolled into town and ruined someone's life and the reputation. Do you reckon that, like, there'd have to be, like, obviously not, probably not at the caliber of Jamie Lyon, but there'd have to be, like, at least a couple of guys who just simply hated living in the city so much they were good enough to play in the NRL and they've never bothered going beyond playing group footy. Yeah, what, Matt Bowen's older brother was one of those, wasn't he? Didn't he, like, turn up in Sydney and just drive back home or something? I can't remember the full story now, and I'm I'm annoyed that I've forgotten that story, but there's something like that, that he got signed by the Sharks and went back home. And I I do enjoy Matt Singh's story when he first got signed, and they they told him, it's only 500 bucks a a game or whatever it is. is And he's like, I don't know, he doesn't know if he'll have enough money to pay them that or whatever it was. Like, (laughs) I don't know if I can afford 500 bucks a week, but I'll try. (laughs) Matty Singh, what a player. Country boys, mate, coming down south. Well, that's good. We've got a Matt Bowen's older brother story for the next time we do story time. So that's yeah, good. That's good. Uh, once again, we've ran out of time for the Russia story. We have. <laughs> <laughs> we're out of time. But uh, the first teaser, Ian Rubin is in it. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at the point now where I never want this story to be told. I just want you to keep running. It's, it's like when Jimmy Kimmel started his yeah. late night talk show. He'd always say at the end, and we had Matt Damon in the back, but we ran out of time. That's it. We turned into a real rivalry too, Matt Damon versus Jimmy yep. Kimmel. So maybe Ian Rubin, me and him in 10 years' time. <laughs> just be throwing down. Just get your, get your missus to teach you all the best Russian insults to spray at him. 
they're still the best is the, the the C word travels. Okay, good. <laughs> also, Ian Rubin speaks English. Yes. So we're, we're fine in that regard. But potentially speaking Russian out, he might not go well, actually. Actually, yeah, I don't even know if he speaks Russian because I don't know I don't think he ever lived there. No. Mm. No, Rubinov or something would have to be if he lived <laughs> over there. Oh dear. But yeah, that was uh, another episode of NRL Storytime. Uh, before we go, Mitchell, would you like to thank the Patreon subscribers? I would like to thank them, but I didn't bring them up, so I filibuster first to firstly say if you want to get behind the boys on Patreon, we've said it many times, but do it again. Patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Wookies. We did do another. You said um, Wookies. Boom Wookies. You can go there as well, and that's Picture actually our podcast. That's our uh, secondary Star Wars merchandise cross rugby league sales website. You can only get Tim Manners, only oh. hairy men. I love the idea of Mitch debating himself on whether Anthony Seabold or JJ Abrams ruined a franchise more. <laughs> Do they? Who blamed the former more as well? <laughs> surely, surely there should be some. Che- if there's Chewy merch, you have to be able to get James Graham dolls. Surely. Yes, oh, good definitely. Ch- good, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. We did do another Zoom for the South game the other night. Maybe another one in the future. I haven't got one planned yet. Our but- team seem to lose whenever we do them. So if you enjoy us being sad, just jump on. I mean, I have. I turned up this week and I, I missed the first half. I turned up in mid-turning up. People had backgrounds of me being upset from the last Zoom. <laughs> as their Zoom background. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, anyway. Special shout-outs to our Boom Rookie and above-tiered patrons. So that's Jack Snape, Thor Laycock, Jace G, Dee Fisher, Tom Hardy, Alex Shergicomi, Bert Andrews, Jason, Wayne Ritchie, Simo Alley, Ty, Warwick Ahern, uh, Roxanne Clark, Michael Murray, Carlo Tyson, Matty McPee, Chris Avenel, Scott Finlayson, uh, Dan Cullinane, and Dave. That's it. We love all of you so much. Also, to, um, just give us some more iTunes reviews, please. Yeah, that didn't really happen. I mean, we've got to keep pushing that. but well, It'll happen eventually, but yeah, one, one or two more won't hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, another highly successful episode of Storytime. Good job, <laughs> you everyone. You us? Very yeah. successful. Okay. All right. Um, say goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye, Mitchell. Say goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, Dale. And it's goodbye from me.